John the Baptist had said, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. No one who rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. Now that Son, the one on whom believing was expedient, learned that the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, had become aware that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than the then more prominent John the Baptist. So he left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. You see, Jesus had come to Judea to honor the feast of Passover, which pointed towards his death and humanity's liberation from the captivity of sin. He had gotten into controversy with the religious order. For what? Cleansing the temple of all that hindered people from worshipping God. He had also begun increasing in popularity. Why? Because of all the miracles that he had been doing. The religious order's enmity against him was growing. And to avoid unnecessary controversy and danger, he left Judea. Moreover, his time to die had not yet come. Now, the last time Jesus was in Galilee, he had performed his first miracle. What was this miracle? He had turned water into wine. On his way back, he would teach an important lesson, and water would once again play an important part. Now, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He was not constrained without choice. No one forced him. He had a goal, and to achieve his goal, chose to pass through Samaria. He came to a town called Sikar, which was near the plot of land that Jacob, also known as Israel, had given to his son Joseph. As one who is above your brothers, Jacob had said to Joseph, I give you the mountain slope which I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. It was on this piece of land that Jacob's well was. Jesus was tired from the journey and sat down right beside the well. He was fully human and divine and experienced life as we do. He was hungry, tired, thirsty and tempted just as we are, but did no evil in God's eyes. Therefore we have a high priest who is capable of sympathizing with our weaknesses as he pleads our case before God, our Father. A Samaritan woman then came to draw water during the hottest time of the day. It was unusual for a woman to come to draw water alone and to come in the heat of the day. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. Normally, Jesus' disciples would draw water, but they had gone off into the town to buy supplies. The Samaritan woman responded to Jesus, asking, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman 
for water to drink. Because Jews used nothing in common with Samaritans, the Samaritans and the Jews were once one community when they were a united Israelite nation. However, after the death of King Solomon, ten tribes broke off and formed the northern kingdom, which retained the name Israel. The remaining two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, comprised the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Israel began worshipping idols and as a result was conquered by Assyria. The population there became absorbed into Assyria through intermarriages. You see, such a complicated history made the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans sour, to say the least. The Jews declared the Samaritans heathens. Jesus answered the woman, If you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, Give me some water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus was the gift of God. He had been freely given to an undeserving race of humans. Jesus was, is, and always will be the source of life because in him all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. As John the Baptist had said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But this woman did not know this. She must be informed of this great gift. Sir, the woman said to him, You have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you are not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well, and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. The woman noticed that Jesus had no bucket, and, well, she asked, Where do you get this living water? Jacob's well got water from an underground spring. Moving water was considered living water, and when added to stationary water or collected water, such as from rain, made that water living water as well. Living water was necessary for cleansing rituals besides common use. There was no better water than the one at the well, and only one greater than Jacob would be able to offer better water than that one. Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Whatever the woman thought to be the best water she had tasted and could ever taste, was unmatched to what Jesus could offer. Her deeper yearning would never be satisfied with this water. Only the water which Jesus could give would satisfy her deepest desires. 
Jesus offered her water that would be so satisfying she would have plenty to share with others. And all who drank from that well would have eternal life. The woman realized her need for this water. Sir, she said, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus loves blessing his children. He desired to give the woman this incomprehensible blessing. God is a giver. It is written, If anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. It is also written, If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God lavishly blesses His children. Why? Because He loves them. But before the woman would receive this gift, she was fast to see her undeserving nature. It was not by merit that she would receive the gift of living water. It was by God's grace. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back here. The woman didn't go. She replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Right you are when you said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. Jesus brought to light the woman's sin. This sin had brought her shame and was the reason why she went to the well at noon, alone, and not at a cooler time with the other women. Jesus was offering her living water and was giving her a way out of the guilt and shame that debilitated her. He was calling her to repentance and to the love that she had desired to experience in her pursuit of suitors. The woman, avoiding the conversation, said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus noted her evasion of the appeal, but did not push the matter. He handled her gently and let her lead on the conversation. Jesus met her where she was. She had noticed through Jesus' faithful revelation of her life that he was no ordinary man but a messenger of God. Now thousands of years before, Moses had commanded the Israelites, saying, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. 
The woman vividly recalled this. She thus questioned why then it was not good enough to worship there at Mount Gerizim during her time, if it was good enough long before they went into captivity. God had commanded, saying, When you cross the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he gives you rest from all the enemies around you, and you dwell securely, then the Lord your God will choose a dwelling place for his name. And there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice offerings you vow to the Lord. God had chosen Jerusalem to be his dwelling place, and had the northern kingdom not seceded from the southern kingdom, they would have continued to worship at his appointed place. But all this did not matter, because all this was about to change. Jesus responded, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and now is here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. God is spirit. And the people who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The worship of God was no longer going to be constrained to either location or time. The Samaritans worshipped a God that they did not know of. Their worship system had been polluted by their deep involvement with other idolatrous nations. They had developed idols to stand in for the unseen God and had perverted the sacrifices that were instituted by God, sacrifices that pointed towards a suffering Savior. They worshipped in the darkness, but the sun had risen upon them. A new light must shine on what is the heart of true worship. Jesus' claim was bold. He said, we Jews worship what we know because salvation is of the Jews. The Savior had been foretold to come from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. The Jews had the right system of worship. The sacrificial types and ceremonies had been given by God to point towards the antitype, a suffering Savior. Yet, they had lost sight of the true meaning of the system. It had become an endless round of rituals, devoid of any substance. The saviour they now looked for was not a suffering one, but a worldly one. Jesus added, however, that a time is coming and now is here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
for the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. From the first sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, God's intention had been for his children to worship him in spirit and truth, not senseless rounds of sacrifices. He desired that as his people brought the sacrificial animal, they would see in it the very heart of his way of salvation. The guilty are spared and the innocent is smitten. God is spirit, Jesus had said. The people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman was deeply moved. She uttered her desire. I know the Messiah is coming. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. She longed for salvation and a way to worship God in spirit and in truth. She longed to be made complete. No more endless pursuit of unconditional love from fallen men. She wanted to be restored and her thirst for everything she yearned for quenched. But Jesus had said, A time is coming and now is here. With an unabated, zealous expression, he said to the woman, I, the one speaking to you, am he. The woman could not believe her ears. She was overwhelmed with joy. She left her water jar, briskly went off into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? She had received her living water, and it had become a fountain of water, springing unto everlasting life. She did not need her water jar or water from the well. The thirst that dried up her heart had been quenched by the floods of living water. Jesus had poured water upon her that was thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. He had poured out his spirit upon the woman at the well. She went out into the town, where once, shamefully she had been unable to hold up her head, she now unashamedly held her head high. Where once she had cautiously avoided talking to the people, she now freely raised her voice in jubilant chords, calling everyone to come and see the Messiah. She was no longer ashamed of her past, for she said, He told me everything I ever did. At this very moment, the disciples came back from their errand. Remember, they had gone to get food from the town. They were shocked because he, that is Jesus, was speaking with the woman. Their prejudice against the Samaritans and much more a Samaritan woman was still present. Yet, for fear of censure from Jesus, none of them said, What do you want? Or, Why are you speaking with her? Jesus knew this, however. He knew what was in man's heart and needed no testimony by man. He desired to show them that he came to save humanity not just one group of it. He regards all men and women as equal. God loves all of humanity, 
not just one path or one race or one gender. All have sinned and fallen short of the character of God. Everyone needs saving. Jesus said, Don't say, there are four more months and then comes the harvest. I tell you, look up and see that the fields are already white for harvest. The Samaritans were a field ready for harvest. After being persecuted, the disciples would flee from Jerusalem and go to all the ends of the earth, including Samaria, where the harvest would be ready. Jesus added, The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. For in this instance the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Others had sown where the disciples were to harvest. Yet for all who employed themselves to proclaim the gospel through the words and actions, in love, eternal life was their reward. The work of salvation and all glory belonged to God. Therefore, rightfully did Jesus say, I sent you to reap what you did not work for. He that sends is greater than he which is sent. No man of disdain or pride was to overtake the disciples in any of their missionary work. Not even against a Samaritan woman with a wretched past whose testimony led many Samaritans to believe in Jesus. The disciples had entered into Jesus' and the Samaritan woman's labor. The disciples had urged Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples began to say one to another, No one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. The disciples knew nothing about the food that he had to eat, much like food, which is necessary for us to live. is only death when we starve ourselves by going against the will of the Father, much like food, which is pleasant to both our senses of sight, smell and taste. Doing the will of the Father pleases us and Him. And much like eating food, which requires the digestive system, Embellished to us by the Creator, God will lavish us with the systems necessary to do His will. God is a giver. He desires to give you the deepest desire of your heart. He desires to give you eternal life. He wants you to experience His love and share it with others. He desires to quench your parched throat with living water. The question is this. Can you have 
some water, please.